Today's text is from 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware of the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put aside, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or sleep, we might live with them. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. God, we just thank you for this opportunity to be here together and to, to worship you as a church, even though we're not in our building yet. We just ask you to be with Rick today with the sermon. And uh, as we, we take the bread and the, uh, the juice today, that we would just remember just the sacrifice that you have made for us. And help us to, to years from now to look back at this time with the work that went into the building and the things that we had to do uh, physically and then also just spiritually, the work that you've done through us already and you're continuing to do. Uh, just continue to work in us and as, as a church body. And uh, just be with the sermon that it would be the words that you'd want Rick to speak to us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So good to see everyone here. Humble beginnings. I've been sitting there for a couple weeks now. Uh, we start small, but we're thinking big because we've got a big God, and I think God's got some big plans for what's ahead of us as Anthem Church and as things get going. And it, we're, this has been a long road. This has been like years in the making for me personally. It's been a lifetime. It's been 40 years in the making, and we're almost there with our building. I mean, it's like... You could taste it. If you've been in our building the last week or so, I mean, it is. It's close. I mean, that sucker is about ready. And, but that's just phase one. And then I'm already thinking about what's next, phase two, and then phase three. And Brent loves it when I get into that kind of stuff. He's like, I'm tired. I don't want to deal with the building anymore. We're going to, as soon as we get in there on December 8th, we're going to take the rest of the month off, not on Sundays. And um, uh, there won't be any building related tasks there's no more painting no more no more cleaning in there so we're just vacuuming and that kind of thing uh we're going to enjoy the holidays right yeah some people are like rejoicing at that um and then enjoy our family time over the holidays and then in january you know throw the hammer down and, and get with it so all right three days ago it was emmett's 10 month birthday all right, and uh, even though he's only 10 months old, I'm, my man is showing promise, athletic promise. He's only 10 months old, and, and the little dude, I mean, he's climbing up all the stairs on his own. And quickly, I might add, he, he, grab, he has a ball, he throws his ball, he chases after it. Like, I mean, I mean he's, got, he's got endorsements coming. Like, I know it. I know it. I mean, his, his 40 time is about a 4 5 40. Crawling. It's only four feet, right? But still, um, I mean, the dude's got some skill. And I think that there's a reason why Emmett is developing his motor skills, his athleticism, his quickness, his agility at such a young age. And it's because he's got two older sisters, 
right? A two-year-old and a four-year-old that if he's not careful, if he's not on high alert, if he's not like fully aware of, especially Ellie, right? Especially her. If he's not aware, if he's not on alert, she's going to knock him down, push him aside. You know, she's going to kick him. She's going to take his Cheerios and take his choice, right? So Emmett, He's like, he's always, well, he would be on his toes if he could walk, I guess. He's on his knees, right? And so he's like, he's on guard. Constantly, consistently, every moment, it's survival, right? He knows, he knows that here comes out. He's got to get out of the way or something bad's going to happen, right? So because of that, he's developing all the quickness, the agility, the speed, the strength, and everything. And soon he'll have the endorsement deal. I'm, I'm just certain of it, right? Um, sports are all about awareness, right? They're all about alertness on the field or whatever the sport is. It's about knowing what is going on around you at all times. So I'm 40, so I'm middle-aged now, and so I got to reflect back on the glory days. I got to go back all the way to high school to think about the glory days. So here's one of mine, like, glory moments, right? So I started out football, tore my ACL, switched over to soccer. In my senior year, like, I'm playing forward, center forward, and there's a game. And uh, you got you to gotta be aware of what's going on in the field. And so the ball's on the right side. The right wing has got it. I'm making my run. I'm going to talk soccer language. Some of you may or may not follow. Just bear with me. I'm making my run toward the top of the box, right, right there. And the right wing's got it. He's crossing the ball over. And I see that this is happening. Now, in soccer, what happens is you get marked. On the defense, there's a guy who's in charge of just staying by the forward. Whoever the forward is, he has to stay right there the whole game. So I'm marked. I've got a guy that's foot for foot, stride for stride, step for step, right beside me the entire time. I'm running. I'm making my run. I see the ball. And right before I turn, I notice that my left wing is coming down, and he's making his run. I caught it out of the left, my, left corner of my eye. And so I see the ball coming, and he's crossing it to me, right? So I go there, and I play dummy, which is the story of my life. But in soccer, what that means is that you pretend like you're going to – stop the ball and do something with it, you actually just let it go. You do it on purpose. It's called playing dummy, all right, which I do very well. And so anyway, so there I am. The ball's coming, and I I'm play dummy, and I let the ball go by me, and it goes straight to the, to the left wing, and he one time didn't score it. All right. We turn around. We're going back to the midfield, and I kid you not, I remember this to this day. The defensive player that was marking me comes up to me. Right beside me, we're walking back, and he says, how did you know? And what he's asking is, in the moment, right, of athletic competition, right? right, You know how it is, right? Well, I remember it, right? It was like World Cup. Anyway, like, like, there were like 100,000 people in the stands, it feels. That's how I remember it anyway, right? The the ball's being centered. The the guy's on me. The the defense is collapsing in on me. And I got my back to the left wing, and I just knew that he was there. And I let it go. And he's asking me, he's like, how did you know? It's because in sports, you have to be completely, fully aware and alert at all times, right? And it's one of the reasons why I do love sports, and it's one of the reasons why, especially team sports, um, they teach us extremely valuable lessons about life. There are analogies for life. They teach us about practice and hard work and discipline. They teach us how to stick to a game plan. They, they teach us how to play well with others, how to work well with others. And it teaches us the necessity of always being alert. Always being alert. Stay alert. Stay alert. Always being. And that's what we're, 
talking about today. So just to bring some folks up to speed, what we've been doing is that we're kind of working our way through the book of First Thessalonians, and um, just going to recap a little bit of what we've done in the last few weeks. So three weeks ago, we talked about spiritual orientation. Uh, it is easy to be spiritually disoriented, and too many of us walk around and, and live spiritually disoriented. And what I mean by that is that too many of us too often uh, are unaware of God. And we lack understanding of his truth and of his love. And we lack understanding of our purpose in life. And we lack understanding of, of where we may end up once life on earth finishes. And as a result of that, we don't know how to live while we're on earth. So there, that's what I would call spiritual disorientation. And so the way that you combat that is through discipleship and through the Holy Spirit. So discipleship, meaning uh, spending time in God's word, reading studying, meditating on God's word, being in Bible study with others, right? That's training, that's discipleship. And doing that while relying on God's Holy Spirit that's alive in the, in the hearts of believers to teach us how to live the life that he wants us to be. That's called being spiritually oriented the right way. Two weeks ago, we talked about spiritual breathing. Too many of us live spiritually suffocating. We're, we're out there spiritually, we're holding our, our breath. And what happens when we hold our breath is that nothing bad goes out. It all gets stuck inside of us. So spiritually speaking, sin and its entanglements and the emotions associated with that sin get stuck inside. So next thing you know, we're, we're enslaved by, by lust and anger and arrogance and jealousy and fear and all sorts of stuff. So what we need to learn is how to breathe spiritually. And by that, what I mean is you breathe in daily the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you exhale like the guilt and the shame. You, you breathe in God's love, his goodness, and his grace, and you exhale sin and entanglements. Right? You breathe it in. You breathe in God's goodness, his truth, and you just breathe out that stuff that just wants to hold you down. So that's spiritual breathing. Last week, we talked about spiritual gazing. All right, by that, what I'm referring to is that many of us, our heads are down, and we're only looking at and only focused on our troubles. We're only looking at that which is right around us, the, the things of the earth, the problems of the earth. And the, we're, we're locked here. That's our natural tendency is to just completely be immersed in the things of the world. All right? And so what we need to do is learn, or I would say ask God to lift our head, because Scripture says that God is the lifter of our head, to lift our head so that we can look beyond the here and now and look to the, the future that God has promised. Because God has promised this wonderful, glorious, spectacular future. All of those who are faith in Christ, I mean, we get to go to heaven. So it's a spiritual gazing is fixing your mind, your eye, your heart on everything that is heavenly and eternal. It's looking up, looking out, past there. So that's spiritual gazing. This week, we're looking at spiritual alertness. What does it mean to be spiritually alert? So if you haven't done so, please turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. It's in the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible, we're going to have the verses on the screen. And, uh, but because we are in our church infancy stage, we want to establish a culture where we all bring our Bibles to church. And the reason for that is that I think that we're better students when we bring our Bible, I think that we're here to learn, to be students. And so uh, there's just something about seeing it in front of you. I know some people use electronic devices. 
that's cool, that's great and all. I'm a hard copy person, personally. Yeah, it's, your face lit up when you pulled it up. That's why I brought that up. Yeah. No. <laughs> All right, I, I'm just saying, hey, that's cool. Like, I know a lot, several people use, but I like a hard copy because I like to actually write and underline and write in the margins. I like to bring a notebook and take notes and all kind of stuff. And to me, it's a visual thing as well. Um, years ago, someone asked me, it's like, how can you find Scripture so quickly? Because I can actually picture it. I know it's in Romans. I know it's on the left page. I know it's in the right column. I know it's halfway up because that's where I saw it. And so it's just a visual thing. Anyway, we want to establish a culture where we're bringing our Bibles and that kind of stuff. So New Testament, First Thessalonians. Um, and just to kind of reiterate some more stuff, the mission of Anthem Church is to fill Andrew and the world with love-filled, faith-filled, hope-filled followers of Jesus, right? What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, it means that we are helping to orient people toward God. It means that we're helping people to be spiritual breathers, it means that we're helping people to be spiritual gazers toward Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. And it means that we're helping people to be spiritually alert. Well, if we're going to go out there and help orient other people and help them to breathe and help them to see right and help them to be alert, well, then maybe we should also be oriented the right way and breathing the right way and gazing, gazing at the right things and spiritually alert ourselves. All right? So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we're going to look at verses 1 through 11. And really what you're going to see in just these few verses, real quick, is that a true believer, a genuine follower of Jesus, is on spiritual alert all the time. Like, that is a distinguishing mark. Like that, is, that is a goal to shoot for. That is the standard, that we are at the ready all the time. We are spiritually alert at all times. Our tendency is to relax, Right? Our tendency is to kind of back off, take our foot off the pedal. That's our natural tendency. Christianity, the gospel message, calls on believers to actually lean into the faith, right? It causes us to lean into what it is that we say that we believe. So that, that's the mark. I, I would say that being spiritually alert is a call to action. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. Be immovable. Be steadfast. Be always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. So we're learning today. What's it mean to be alert? It means to be active. And so that's what we're going to get into. Let's read the first three verses. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. So what's going on here? The Apostle Paul has written a letter to a church in the city of Thessalonica, modern-day northern northeast Greece, and we're in the middle of the letter in a section that's talking about the end of the world. There is a day that's coming. One day, God will bring this world to an abrupt conclusion, to an abrupt end. And, by, and the Bible refers to that day as the day of the Lord. Okay, so that's what we're looking at here. Now, here's, here's what I think. I haven't surveyed this, but this is, I believe. Most Christians 
have never really studied what the Bible says about the day of the Lord, especially in the United States. And I emphasize especially in the United States because our prosperity has dulled our perspective. In comparison, I don't know how many of you have actually traveled outside of the borders of this nation and particularly gone to second or third world countries or, not even, or like Haiti. That's not even considered third world. It's so far out there, okay? Um, our, the way we live in comparison to the rest of the world, we live in Disney World. It's just a reality, okay? Most people, not some, most people in the world, you know, we wonder, oh, what's our health care going to be in January? Like, they have no possibility of any health care at any time, okay? None. Some of them don't have food today. Some of them don't know if they'll have food this week. What are we struggling over? Are we going to go see Thor 2 at 7 or at 9.30? Do we go see Thor 2 or the Hunger Games? I don't know. It's a dilemma. We should pray about it. Like, nah. Like, like you know, there's some people that are actually have some real problems, right? We, we live in, 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 in a Disney world. Like, in, in the fact is that even our people here in this country that are below the poverty line are wealthy by world standards. They are well, they're in the top percentage of wealthy people on the planet. Like, it's amazing. And so if you go to one of those nations, what you'll find is that you'll see Christians in those countries. They're fully aware about the day of the Lord. They can tell you all about it. Why? That's their only hope. That's their only hope. They're not distracted by the things of the world the way we are, right? They're, they're, they're sitting there. They, all that they have is that Jesus has promised to come back one day, and he's promised to do away with all the sin and the death and the darkness and the war and the famine and the destruction and the brokenness and all of that. He's promised to do away with it. And so they're constantly longing and seeking and praying and looking. They're alert because of that. So here in the U.S., we have to fight the dullness right? We have to become spiritually alert, and the way we do that is by studying what the Bible says about the day of the Lord. So that's what we're getting into today, and we no way we'll cover all of it. It's too big, too broad of a subject, uh, but we can get a little bit of a snapshot as to what the Bible says about it, and we're just going to look at four things. One, the day of the Lord. Um, the day of the Lord is guaranteed. Number one, the day of the Lord is judgment. Number two, the day of the Lord is imminent. Number three, and the day of the Lord is a call to be spiritually alert. Guaranteed, judgment, imminent, a call to be spiritually alert. Okay. 2,000 years ago, Jesus came from heaven to earth. Born of a virgin, fully God, fully man, great mystery, wonderful, supernatural miracle of God, born, and he comes to earth, he lives a sinless life, and it tells us in Scripture that he was the Lamb of God, right? He came to be sacrificed. If, if you've studied the Old Testament, what you'll find is that in the Old Testament, they used to bring a bunch of animals to the temple and to the priest, and those animals would get sacrificed on behalf of the person that would bring the animal to the priest, this is how it worked. They would bring, let's say, a lamb. They'd bring a lamb to the priest, and the person who brought the lamb would put their hands on the lamb. It symbolized your transferring over of all of your sin onto that animal. And then the priest would grab that lamb, and I'm sorry to be graphic, but it's just how it was. 
they take a knife and they slit that animal's throat. And blood would gush. Because Scripture tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Like, basically, another way of saying it is that something has to die on account of sin. Something has to pay the price. Because God has warned us, the wages of sin is death. So Jesus comes down, the Son of God, God himself, he comes down. He's the Lamb of God. He lives us in his life. He goes to a cross. He sheds his blood. He dies. And when we accept Jesus as, as Lord, what we're doing is that we're putting our hands on him. And our sins get transferred on to the very body of Christ. And there on the cross, Jesus pays that price. He, he suffers the consequences that we deserve to pay. Everybody tracking? Okay. That same Jesus, he died, he was buried, he was resurrected, he ascended up to heaven. That same Jesus, he's coming back one day. All right. He went into a tomb, three days later, stood up, wiped, dusted death off, walked out of that tomb, defeated, conquered sin, hung out for 40 days with his disciples. On the 40th day, it would have been cool to have seen this, Jesus ascended up to heaven, right? They they actually watched him, like, go Superman, or I don't know how it went, right? Right, Neo from the Matrix, however it went, I don't know. But they saw him go up. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 11, it tells us that two angels show up, and all of a sudden they're standing next to the disciples, and they say this, Men of Galilee, who do you stand, why do you stand looking into heaven? This, why, really? Jesus is flying. Like, that's, anyway, I'll ask the angels about that one someday. All right. Anyway, this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come back in the same way as you saw him go. So last week in the earlier portion of Thessalonians, we saw that Jesus will come down and his people will meet him up in the clouds. That's a reference to that. All right. It's good stuff. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. And and even in our own text right here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2, it says, you know, you're fully aware that the day of the Lord will come. It will happen. So it is a guarantee. So I would say that the first question before us is, are you ready? Are you on alert? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is coming? Now, someone may say, Rick, really? I mean, the Bible, it was written 2,000 years ago, a bunch of old dudes. How can we trust the Bible? All right, there is, there is nothing like this book on earth, okay? This was penned by men that God employed to actually write the words, but this is the very word of God. This is God-breathed. Scripture is God-breathed. It is inspired by God. And I want you to know this. I can't prove that the Bible is God's word, but I think I can give some justifying evidence as to why we can trust it, okay? The Bible was written over the course of 1,500 years on two different continents 
in three different original languages by 40 men, fishermen, shepherds, kings, priests, men of all walks of life. None of them benefited from what they wrote. In fact, most of them were martyred and persecuted because of what they wrote. And yet, despite it being written over 1,500 years by 40 different men of all walks of life on two different continents with three different languages, not a word of it contradicts. And I cannot go a week without contradicting myself. How do you account for that? So to me, that shows us that this is, in fact, God's word. It shows us that it's fully trustworthy and that it is without error. Okay? In the Old Testament, there are hundreds of... Hundreds of prophecies about Jesus. There's 40 of them that are considered major prophecies of Jesus. Stuff like born in Bethlehem, uh, man, died on a cross, and description of the cross. Born of a virgin. That stuff was predicted hundreds of years before Jesus. Now, if you take only eight of those 40, what are the chances of eight being fulfilled in the life of one individual? It's to this degree. It is equivalent of taking silver dollars, covering the entire face of the state of Texas to a height of two feet, marking one of those silver dollars, asking a blind man, and let's blindfold him just for theatrics. Let's blindfold him and say, pick the one on your first try. Right? It's, abs- it's absurdly impossible but it, that it took place. And that's only eight out of the 40, and that doesn't include the other hundreds that are available there. So clearly this shows us that the Bible is in fact God's word. It is without error and it is fully trustworthy. Nations, emperors, kings have tried to eradicate the Bible from existence. They've all failed. Archaeologists, every archaeological find only verifies the history of the Bible. There's not an archaeological find that has ever disproven anything that the Bible says. Right? That, it's God's word. It's without error, and it's fully trustworthy. And what to me, personally, is the most compelling out of all of that is that I know the effects that this book has on people when they read it. I've seen it. I've seen it in my own life, the transformative power. When we actually open up God's word, and we study it, and we read it, and, we're, and we meditate on it, and we see sin dissolve away, and we actually see the transformative, the sanctifying power. God said that his word is truth, and you will be sanctified by the truth. And so it has this turning you into Christ-like being effect on us. So clearly, the Bible is God's word. It is without error and it's fully trustworthy. So I ask, if the Bible is God's word, fully trustworthy, do you believe that Jesus will come back? Is Jesus coming back? Yes. He's coming back. He came back the first time like a, like a lamb that was slain. He's coming back this time king of kings, Lord Almighty, holy, 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 to establish his lordship over all creation. And so uh, do you understand that the, the invitation of the gospel, right? The gospel is the good news of Jesus, the message of God, his love, that the invitation of the gospel is an invitation to live life under the lordship of Jesus. And that invitation is not an invitation that begins when he comes back, it begins now. 
So being spiritually alert means that I have embraced Christ as Lord, and now I am following up my life underneath the lordship of Jesus daily. So let me ask you, do you really believe Jesus is coming back? Do you really believe he is Lord, and does your life reflect that in your life? And what does it look like specifically to be on alert? We'll get to that in just a minute. So number one, the day of the Lord is guaranteed. Number two, the day of the Lord is judgment. And this is the part that most people don't even preach these days, and a lot of churches don't even get into, and it's God's word. And so as, as much as we can, me, Brent, and any other that get up here and preach, we're going to present the full counsel of God's word, and we're going to talk about the judgment of God because it's part of the gospel, okay? So there is a day, and on that day, it's called the day of the Lord. Jesus comes back, and it's a day of judgment and of wrath, of punishment. Zephaniah chapter 1, verses 14 through 18. The great day of the Lord is near. Near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath is that day. A day of distress and anguish. A day of ruin and devastation. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and thick darkness. A day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. I will bring distress on mankind so that they shall walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them on the day of the wrath of the Lord. In the fire of his jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed. For a full and sudden end he will make of all the inhabitants of the earth. I, I, I genuinely, I really remember when I was younger feeling terrified whenever this subject came up in church or Sunday school or whatever. And I actually think that that's a good reaction. Like that's appropriate reaction to feel a fright over this. The very thought that all holy, all powerful God will come back and in the greatest display of power since he commanded the universe into existence, come back and reclaim that which belongs to him. Because the reality is that this world belongs to God. It was, he made it. He's the owner. He's the creator. He's the sustainer. He is Lord of it all. And he made it to be very good. And what all of us have done is that we have tainted God's creation with our sin. Right? It has a stain on it. And God is the God of light, which means that in him there is no darkness. And in him, he will not abide in darkness. He will not abide in sin. And he's not going to let sin just continue to endure and endure. And he has warned us, he has graciously warned us from the beginning, the wages of sin is death. He's warned us from the beginning that his righteousness is the standard. And he's warned us from the beginning that one day he will come and there will be an account that is paid on account of all sin. 
And the reality is that that will be an awful, dreadful, and terrifying moment in history. But as awful and dreadful and terrifying as it is, there is good news. There is exquisite, there's spectacular news, folks. Not a single person need go through that. Like, there's not a person that, that has any excuse to not be spared from what God has warned us from. Look at Joel chapter 2, verses 30 through 32. God saying, I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is what it means to be spiritually alert. It begins with accepting Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior, calling on his name. And you don't earn it. You don't deserve it. That's why it's called grace. It's a free gift. It's unmerited. It's mercy and it's kindness. And God says, you don't have to do anything, right? Like you, there's nothing that you can do to earn this thing. All you do, just trust me. Trust in his grace. Trust in the sacrifice of Jesus. Trust that Jesus was the lamb that was slain on your behalf. Put your hands on Christ. Let your sin be transferred to him and let the righteousness of God be transferred to you and you will be saved. So my question, folks, are you ready? Number one, the day of the Lord is guaranteed. Number two, the day of the Lord is judgment. Number three, the day of the Lord is imminent. What that means is that the day of the Lord is impending, right? It means that the day of the Lord is hanging over us. It means that the day of the Lord is likely to happen at any moment. It is a certainty. Like, we can't predict when it's going to happen. We don't know. I know that the Bible has signs for when it's going to happen, but the signs don't help us to predict when it's going to happen. It only tells us of the reality that it's going to happen. Does that make sense? Like, you can't map it out. You can't figure it out on a time chart on the calendar. Well, these are the so-called signs. and this No, like, these are the signs... And it's just waiting. So it just points to the reality that it will take place. Okay? So it is imminent. It is hanging all over us. Now, uh, DEFCOM. Like, anybody ever knows what DEFCOM means? Right? People are laughing because you're probably thinking of a different DEFCON, aren't you? All right. DEFCON, Defense Readiness Condition. It is the state of alert of our armed forces. There's five levels, right? Five graduated levels of DEFCON. It is DEFCON 5 is the least severe. DEFCON 1, the most severe. In the history of the United States, the highest level that we have ever reached is DEFCON 2. That was only once. That was during the Cuban Missile Crisis. And that wasn't even all the military. That was just the Strategic Air Command, right? The rest of the military was still at DEFCON 3. We, as far as we know, right, we have never been, our country has never been at DEFCOM 1. And what DEFCOM is, is nuclear war is imminent. Like, the birds are fueled up. Now I'm using all the movie jargon, right? I don't even know if that's how it works. Like, the birds are in the tubes. Open the missile hatches, you know, right? One ping only, or however it works, right? 
They're fueled up. They're ready to go. I mean, nuclear war is imminent. It's, it's impending. It's hanging over everything. It's a, it's a foregone conclusion. Well, the reality is that the day of the Lord is imminent. And the world is, whether it knows it or not, it's a DEFCON 1. Like, it's not if, it's when. It's, it's, it's not like, well, maybe if, maybe God will change his mind. No, the, it's the date is set. God has already determined the date that it will take place. And so there is a call on people to be spiritually alert that at any moment Jesus can return. So what does it mean to be spiritually alert? If we know that Jesus can come back at any time, then it needs to be, we need to be ready at all times. If Jesus can come back at any time, then we must be ready at all times. And what does it mean to be ready? It means to be living a life as a follower of Christ. And that's number four. Number four, the day of the Lord calls us to be spiritually alert. And for that, let's read verses four through eight. In First Thessalonians 5. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For that day to surprise you as a thief, sorry. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do. Let us, let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. What these verses tell us, and when it's talking about drunk and sober, it's using figurative language. It's not actually, this is not talking about, we're not getting into drinking. We'll, we'll talk about what the Bible says about alcohol at some other point. All right, this is just a metaphor that he's using there. All right, um, what he's saying is that there are two types of people on the planet. There are those that are of the darkness of night and those that are children of light and children of the day. Darkness and night refer or symbolize like the dominion of sin and death. Follow? Right? It represents those that have no relationship with God, those that are negligent or I would say indifferent to the things of God. Right? And so the children of light, children of the day, are the ones that we were in darkness too, but we have embraced the light of God. And what is the light of God? Jesus, right? Jesus is the light of the world, right? So when we embrace Christ, we are drawn out of darkness into God's marvelous light. He is our hope of glory. And so we enter to light. We become children of light through the gospel. So he's saying that there's two kinds of people there. Then it says that we, as children of, of light, children of the day, we're not to be asleep, spiritually asleep. We're not to be spiritually drunk, right? Which another way is to say is to like just not know what's going on, right? That's what he's talking about there. To be awake literally in the text means to be alert. He's calling us to be alert. If you're a child of God, be alert. That's what he's saying. The word there, sober, means self-controlled. It means thinking clearly. So the call to a believer, to a child of God, as we place our faith in Jesus, what it means is be alert, be vigilant, be clear-minded, be ready, be ready, be ready, be on alert. Now, now we're getting to the point where the rubber hits the road, right? 
What does that look like? Practically, when we go home today, this evening, when we get up tomorrow, what in the world does that mean? What does it mean to be spiritually alert? Verse 8 tells us. And what it says is that we live a life of love, of faith, and of hope. That's what it means to be spiritually alert, right? Love, faith, and hope are like the core of what it means to be a Christian. Love, faith, and hope are at the heart of what it means to be a healthy Christian in a healthy church. They're the, they're the litmus test to see whether we really believe what we say, what we claim that we believe. Love, faith, and hope, that is God's desire in his people, in his children, right? It's to compose in us lives of love, faith, and hope. That's, I mean, there's a reason why in our mission statement it says our mission is to fill anger in the world with love-filled, faith-filled, hope-filled followers of Jesus because that's what a follower of Jesus looks like. Those are the three primary, pinnacle, paramount virtues of Christianity. And everything else that there could be falls neatly under those categories. What is love? I'm going to throw a few slides up on the screen just to help us out a little bit. What is love? Love is submitting our interests. It is the act of humbly putting down our interests and raising the interests of others. Primarily the interest of God, putting God's interests ahead of our own, putting the interests of other people ahead of our own. That is what love is. Love is sacrifice. It's sacrificial. It gives. It's, uh, it's you know, in marriages, there, there's this old thing in marriages, which I think is awful advice. You know, marriage is 50-50, false. That's a recipe for, for, for bad marriage. Marriage is 100-0. You give 100% and expect nothing in return. That's love. That's what Jesus did for us. He gave fully of his love, and, and, you know, and he just gave it freely, and that's love. All, they, all it must be is received by us. Right? So the question is, are you spiritually alert? Are you filled with love? And what does that look like? It's, it is gratitude toward God, and it is generosity toward others. That's what love looks like. Right? It is generosity toward God. It is, or I'm sorry, gratitude toward God. It is, it is thank you, Lord. Right? It's praising God. It's like, oh my goodness, I don't deserve that. I have a job. I have a house. I have a family. I'm healthy. I'm going to be with you in heaven one day. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for salvation. Thank you that your spirit's alive in me. Thank you for your word. Thank you that I have food. Thank you for everything. And it's just constantly gratitude to God. That is loving God. Is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind is worshiping him, right? That's what it means to be love-filled. That's spiritually alert. And spiritually alert is loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. That's spiritually alert. It's going out of our way, seeing a need and meeting that need, going above the level of convenience. It's all of that. It is, it is seeing someone that is broken and trying to help them. It's seeing someone that has a financial need and trying to meet that need or trying to get some additional help to come in there right? It is it's being a blessing to other people. So it's gen- being generous with our time, and it's being generous with our, our spirit. It's being generous with our money, our homes. So are you spiritually alert? Are you love-filled? You know, and, and this week, we have an opportunity to be spiritually alert. It's Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. We give thanks to God for all that he's given to us, 
Right? That's worship. That's loving God. And we get to do that also by going into the Andrew Depot or the Home Depot, as Brent likes to say. And, and together, we're making mashed potatoes for 300 people. And other churches are providing some of the others, right? Um, well, we need some people that are willing to prepare the food, and we're gonna, we have a place where we're going to do it. And uh, if you can't do that, well, we could use some help serving that evening. But that's being generous and loving to, to our neighbors, right? So are you spiritually alert? Are you loving God? Are you loving others? Faith. What is faith? Faith means submitting, submitting our choices. And I need for everyone to follow me here because I'm going to, for some of you, I'm going to completely destroy your definition of faith, right? In the Bible, faith means faithfulness. Faith is not simply believing something to be true. Faith in the Bible is believing something to be so true that you follow it. That's different. Christian faith, biblical faith, is believing in it so much that your steps walk in line. So you submit yourself, your daily choices, to what God would have you to do each and every day. So what does the Bible say? What does the Holy Spirit say? Right? And so you're submitting your choices each and every day. You're faithful in your life each and every day. Right? That, that's a, a life of discipline. Right? It's a life characterized by wisdom and integrity each and every day as we're listening to God and doing what he says. Right? Not listening to the world. Blessed is he. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the path of sinners or scoffers. Right? But his delights in the law of the Lord. And he meditates on that each and every day. He don't do that junk. He does what God says. Right? That's wise. That's called integrity. Right? So that we have to submit our lives, our choices to that each and every day. So I ask you, are you spiritually alert? Are you filled with faith? Are you faithful to him who was or is faithful to you? You know, and we're, we're trying by God's grace to like, oh, Lord, help us. Let's, let's get this church thing happening here, right? Let's get Anthem off the ground. Let's, let's go to Andrew. Let's get in our building. And we got a lot of stuff to do. Well, we're starting the process like, of recruiting or needing volunteers, to help out in the different areas of ministry that we need in order to be a healthy and a functioning church, right? And what I ask is that if someone is a follower of Jesus, and I, I, okay, followers of Jesus, when you accepted Christ, God gave you spiritual gifts. They're, They're unique gifts that God gives to believers to be used in the context of the local church for the sake of local church health, for the sake of the local church mission, right? So, what are your gifts that God has given you? What are your talents and your burdens? And God, how has God used you in your experience in the past so that you can be a good steward of what God has placed inside of you so that you can use it, serve God, serve the church, serve the community, right? That's an act of being faithful to God. So are you alert? Are you filled with faith? And lastly, are you, or what is hope? What is hope? Hope means submitting our perspective. This one's tricky. Most of us, most of the time, our natural tendency is for our focus to be here, down here, where the ugly stuff is, where the stuff is broken and is breaking and is about to break. Like we're, we're imprisoned by the here and now, right? Like everything, our eye is on the problems of the world, the things of the world, everything, right? And so we lack joy as a result. 
We're, we're, we're missing something as a result because everything's here. Well, hope means submitting your perspective. In, in other words, it's like getting a brand new outlook. And what that requires is for God to lift our head that we may gaze at the resurrected Jesus because he has promised a way better future for us. So hope is looking beyond our current circumstances and looking forward to that which God has promised. That's hope. So are you alert? Are you spiritually alert? Are you filled with the hope of Christ? Are you, are you filled with the hope of the gospel? Are you filled with God's love and, and his truth? And is that bringing joy to you? I, I mean, I, we say that joy is a life characterized, uh, sorry, joy. Hope is a life characterized by joy and boldness, right? It is joy in the gospel and boldness for the gospel. That's what hope is. So are you alert? Are you spiritually alert? Are you filled with hope? You know, that there are countless, countless people in our homes, our neighborhoods, at work, at school, all around. And they're broken. They're in despair. They're hopeless. And they look to the things of the world and that nothing in the world can fix them, can help them. And what needs to happen is that God's people need to be alert that we may go out and share the good news of Jesus with them, that they may have hope, that they may enjoy the Lord of Christ in their life. And that's, that's why we're planning a church. Right? May God compose in us lives of love, love and faith and hope that we may go out and fill Andrew in the world with love-filled, faith-filled, hope-filled followers of Jesus. Because that's where it's at. We don't want anyone to have to deal with the day of the Lord. We want everyone to meet Jesus in the clouds. And, and that's really how this text ends in verse 9 and 10. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. You know, in First Timothy chapter 2, it tells us that God desires that no one would perish. It says in John chapter 3, right, famously, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whomever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So the question is, are you ready? Are you spiritually alert? Does your life show that? You know, that we don't become spiritually alert to the return of Jesus by trying to decipher the signs that are in Scripture and then comparing it to the newspaper and say, well, maybe it's now. Like, that's, that's not being spiritually alert. Spiritually alert is, Jesus, I accept you, and now fill me with love, faith, and hope that I may go out and share that with others. That's spiritually alert. That's spiritual awareness. That's the life that we're called to live. So we're going to ask for everyone to just bow their heads and close their eyes, and we're just going to step into a moment of some quiet reflection. And I don't know what decision you need to make, I don't know uh, where you're at spiritually, but if you've never accepted the gospel of Jesus, you are not ready for the day of the Lord. And so I ask that you turn to Christ to forgiveness and let him save you, let him rescue you. Like there's no point in being on a collision course with destruction when God has clearly given us an offering. So... Right now, if God is knocking on your heart, just embrace the gospel. 
repent of your sin and acknowledge Christ as Lord of your life. And if you are a follower of Jesus and you have not been living love-filled, faith-filled, and hope-filled, just know that God loves you and he is not done with you. He will complete the work that he began in you. Just confess your shortcomings and throw yourself at his grace and ask him to help you to be spiritually alert. Lord, Father, we thank you for grace. 2,000 years ago, you sent your son to be the lamb of God. And Jesus is returning as conquering king, and to him belong all glory and honor and praise. You are holy, 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 the Lord Almighty, slow to anger and compassionate and kind, and we thank you for your forgiveness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're going to stand and just worship the Lord.
continents.